Welcome to After Hour, a podcast where a journalist retains a lawyer to solve societal problems. Because sometimes knowing why isn't good enough. We need to know what we can do. Sometimes we need more than truth. We need hope. I'm Jane Steele, your host and investigative journalist here with Joseph, the managing partner of Sang & Associates. Hi, Joseph. How are you doing today? Good, good. So what case do you have for me today? Yeah, so today we're talking about international adoption fraud and corruption in the entire international adoption system. That's a big problem to tackle, all right? (laughs) Yeah. So the case is about a girl named Karen Abigail Mahanin. Karen Abigail Mahanin is a girl who lives with her mom and dad, Timothy and Jennifer Mahanin, in Liberty, Missouri, which is a suburb of Kansas City. She was originally adopted from Guatemala and came to America when she was four. And her story was actually an international child trafficking scandal that contributed to the end of American adoptions from Guatemala. It's believed that she was born on Yeli Lisseth Hernandez Rodriguez to mother Loida Rodriguez and her husband, Daner Hernandez, a middle-class couple from Guatemala who had two other children at the time that she was born and abducted. Wow. Her mother and father immediately and repeatedly reported that their child was abducted from the front yard of their home on November 3rd, 2006. And the Guatemalan government agreed. After extensive investigation, they determined that she was kidnapped from her family and that her visa was issued illegally when she was brought to America in 2008. Her mother, Loida, took part in a hunger strike to bring attention to her case and to other kidnappings perpetrated to create adoptions from Guatemala. Neither her mother nor her father ever stopped trying to have her returned or at the very least to see her. Karen's American-issued and amended birth certificate, like that of all adoptees, will indicate that she was born to her adopted American parents. The filing date on her U.S. birth certificate is also four years subsequent to her birth, which was when she was adopted and came to America. And her Guatemalan birth certificate and passport have both been nullified. The Guatemalan government was actually demanding Karen's return, and the U.S. government responded with silence. The State Department also failed to insist on DNA tests to prove or disprove the kidnapping allegations, which was in violation of international treaties. And Loida Rodriguez, the birth mother's DNA, was compared to the DNA sample kept on file for Karen, which was drawn in July 2007. Two independent labs, one in Spain and one in the U.S., sent their results back to Guatemala, and they both agreed. Loida Rodriguez and Karen tested 99.98% positive for a maternal match. There were suspicions in this case, too, from the very beginning. There were so many red flags. For instance, her American adoptive parents found her through a Florida adoption agency called Celebrate Children International, and they were aware of problems throughout the entire process. The person who claimed to be Agnelli's Guatemalan mother turned out to not even exist. And the Mahanins, the adoptive American family, were told to let it go. They're told to find another child. But at this point in the process, they loved her and they were afraid that something worse would happen to her if they didn't follow through with the process. She would be left to languish in foster care or on the streets or worse. And so in order to make it happen, American adoption attorneys and a Guatemalan lawyer had the two-year-old declared abandoned. And the adoption process continued despite irregularities and police reports in Guatemala of her kidnapping. 
In the aftermath of this case, nearly a dozen Guatemalans, including government officials, have been charged with serious criminal offenses related to her adoption, including dereliction of duty, human trafficking, and falsifying documents. Two women, a nursery director and a lawyer, both served jail time for their involvement in this case. But in the U.S., there's been no justice and no accountability. And there are people who are out there profiting millions through illicit adoptions and outright kidnapping who get to sit back and relish in the fruits of their crimes with no laws or regulations in place to hold them accountable. And when I'm talking about international adoption abuses, it's because this case is not an isolated incident. We've seen cases of adoption corruption, kidnapping, and child trafficking for adoption involving adoptions from Cambodia, China, Ethiopia, Guatemala, Haiti, India, Romania, Russia, Samoa, and Vietnam. We do have the Hague Convention, which is wonderful, but it doesn't lay out whether kidnapped children should be returned to their birth parents, and it also doesn't consider the impact of such a reunion on a child who has no memory of those parents. So Joseph, I know you've walked with your clients through the adoption process. I know you've seen this from the inside. From my perspective, I just don't understand why we why a zero tolerance policy isn't in place to prevent these problems from happening. I know you haven't been retained to solve societal issues, but I really want to pick your brain because on my end, I just don't understand why this doesn't already exist. What do you think? Okay, that's a pretty big case to solve. So the first thing I want to say is that you mentioned the Hague Convention. Just to put it in perspective, the Hague Convention was signed about 100 years ago, but the adoption portion that is relevant to today's case is really only adopted back in 1993. I still remember working on adoption cases before the Hague Convention and after the Hague Convention for the same country. Okay, so it's pretty interesting how things have changed. The Hague Convention already made it so much more difficult for these frauds to happen. Of course, it continues and it will continue as long as there are incentives in place, as long as there's a disparity of wealth amongst the global community, as long as there are people who are wanting to adopt children in first world countries and there are developing countries that have just tons of kids to be adopted, there's going to be this problem. But it doesn't mean it's not being addressed. And just to put in perspective of how difficult it is to address these problems, right? I mean, think about the problems we face in America. Police brutality, for example. Think about how difficult it is to address that problem here, just with different regions and counties and sheriff departments having their own policies. We're talking about international law, imposing a standard in a global community from first world countries all the way down to third world and developing countries as well and making them comply with the same standards. It's extremely difficult. We might not even have the same legal system. We definitely don't in many countries, right? Justice takes time. We cannot adopt a zero tolerance policy from the get-go. There's gonna be problems. And the problems that you mentioned, these kids that have been kidnapped, it's extremely problematic. But think about all the hundreds of thousands of children that have found beautiful homes. If you adopt the zero tolerance policy now, then those children and future children might not be able to find happy homes. So the second thing I want to mention is we really want to adopt a children first policy. And I think that is the international principle. 
Right. And that makes a lot of sense to me. But at the same time, shouldn't it be a fundamental right for children to be reunited with their birth parents? If we're talking about what's in the best interest of the child, shouldn't that be taken into account? Yes. Taking it into account, treating it as a factor, for sure, the international community and the courts look at that. But I think I want to address something deeper that you mentioned. As a parent myself, I know how devastating it must be for my child to be taken away from me. I can completely understand that ingrained human nature that parents should be able to take care of their own offspring. But just looking at any legal system, and if you look at our legal system specifically, one phone call to children's services and the child could be taken away from the parents, right? In family court, day in and day out, custody is being taken away from one parent and given to the other, right? And children are taken away from birth parents and given to guardians. This happens all the time. Does that mean we don't recognize the, this parental right? We definitely recognize it, but it's always in the best interest of the child. That's only a factor to look into. And it's not a fundamental right that's irrevocable that trumps all other rights. Having gone through this Hague Convention and non-Hague Convention adoption process and the visa process, we're not talking about a couple months. We're not talking about three documents. We're talking about hundreds of documents. We're talking about years before the adopted child gets to be with the parent in the U.S. It's an extremely long and arduous process put in place by the Hague Convention and the U.S. embassies abroad and USCIS in the U.S. It's not an easy thing to fake. And of course, being so difficult because it's still so lucrative, there are going to be bad actors out there trying to break the system and make a buck. But there's also good people with good intentions trying to go through the process and adopt a child. But how is this any different than human trafficking? Shouldn't Interpol working with local agencies be bound to take action against crimes like this? I'm sure Interpol and the local law enforcement are taking a look into it. There's, there's no doubt about it. The problem that we're dealing with right now that you brought to my attention, the international adoption part, is not exactly the same as child trafficking and sex trafficking. Because according to those definition and human trafficking definition, usually the person being trafficked has to be exploited. Sex trafficker, slavery. But in this case, children being adopted by the international community usually has a better home. They're usually profiting for it. So it's not exactly the same and therefore a little bit less focus. And to use your words, they're less motivated to solve this particular problem, to correct false adoptions, because it technically isn't in the same ballpark as sex trafficking or slave trafficking. So I don't think the solution to this international adoption problem is to adopt a zero tolerance policy. I think that will do more harm than good, especially to all the children and to the adopting parents and potentially to the other country as well, because having unwanted children in your country that you cannot raise is a systemic problem for those countries as well. And I think that the real solution goes back to the starting motivation that started everything. And that's love, right? International adoption starts with love. Adopting parents wanting to build a family, wanting to bring a child into their home and give their life to the child and, and give them a better life. The solution really should start there. And it's not to love less or stop the love, but to love more. 
It's important for the adopting parents to recognize that when they're adopting a child overseas, it's not just this individual entity that they're taking off a shelf, like a supermarket or at the mall, but there's a whole history, a legacy that comes with that child and that adoption process. It's not just this one kid, but this kid came from somewhere. There's a history and there's a government and there's societal issues there as well. And if you just pluck this child and thinking, okay, that's the end of my process. I, if there was just a pure business transaction, that might be the wrong way to look at it for the adopting parents. They should look at it a little bit more. They should love a little bit more. Maybe adopting this child, maybe send the child back to do mission work, maybe to get go into that country and, and get to know the, the history a little bit more. There's so much more the adopting parents could do, but that should be the moral imperative of the parents. I, I don't think society or we could put in place laws to force adopting parents to love, but I think that is the ultimate solution. It makes me a little emotional just thinking about bringing love into the picture, right? In the sense that this is ultimately about the child and loving a child requires sacrifice on both parties. So it can't just be, you know, whose child does this belong to? It's what's in the best interest of the child. And that might mean I'm going to love this child the best I can, whether that's the birth parent or the ado adoptive parent, whoever has the child has the responsibility to love. That means sacrificing. That could be in a variety of ways. It could be in the adoptive parent's saying, you know, I'd rather not busy myself with all of these issues and these global problems, but I love my child. And because of my child, I'm going to sacrifice and use my time and effort and resources to give of myself to help others. And the same could be said in a different capacity for the birth parents. You changed my mind. <laughs> you changed my mind. Thank you for your time, Joseph. That was great. I've learned a lot and it makes me want to go learn more and help these kids. <laughs> so thank you. Many thanks to Joseph for our conversation today. After Hour is the podcast by Sang & Associates, an international firm dedicated to solving legal problems with creative solutions. If you enjoyed today's episode of After Hour, you will find these conversations and more on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. For information on Sang & Associates, go to sangslaw.com. Feel free to connect with us on Instagram and Facebook, as well as to learn more about what we do and hear success stories from Sang & Associates. And if you enjoyed today's conversation, please give us a rating on your podcast app and share it with a friend. Thank you for joining me for After Hour. I'm Jane Steele.